What's up, guys? It's Liz Kelly, and welcome to the Ringer Podcast Network. April is a huge month for TV, and starting this weekend, the Recapables feed returns to give you in-depth analysis on your favorite TV shows, including Killing Eve, Billions, and many more. There will also be a special Precapables series on the Recapables feed on the final season of Game of Thrones, where our staff forecasts what will happen every Sunday on the show. So make sure to subscribe now before the premiere of Killing Eve and Game of Thrones on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Ringer NBA show. I'm Chris Vernon, and joining me as he does every Tuesday from the Ringer.com is Kevin O'Connor, aka Kevin O'Bomber, aka Kevin O'Conflict, aka Kevin O'Camera, aka Kevin O'Concert, aka Kevin O'Climber. Kevin! <laughs> you mentioned the O'Concert in there, Chris. Tomorrow night, Muse is playing in Boston, but I will not be going, and I'm very sad about that, but also very happy because I get to see some playoff scenarios shake out for the final day of the regular NBA regular season. We're finally here, Chris. We have finally made it to the very end of the season within a few days. The story of by. last night was Virginia winning the national championship. Uh, though there were some that declared this would be a complete bust of a game and thought that it would be oh, they were not wrong. entertaining. This ended up being insanely entertaining last night and we had on display a couple of different guys that have been there in the top five to ten draft picks for the upcoming NBA and it feels like opinions have really moved a lot on both of these guys even as the last few weeks have unfolded you have Jarrett Culver uh, who was the Big 12 player of the year and best player on that Texas Tech team and then you have DeAndre Hunter who when it mattered most, made play after play last night in order to get his team a national championship. I mean, they are down by three. Somehow, Texas Tech, who is an amazing defensive team, loses him in the corner. He bangs down a three. You know, he gets a steal. He gets blocks. And Hunter, who I think had been relegated in many circles as a guy will be a pretty nice role player in the NBA. Is that what you want? Um, he played like a big-time star last night when the lights were on brightest. So, obviously, congrats to Virginia. But uh, in terms of what we talk about, how this relates to the NBA draft, and especially with those two prospects specifically, Kev. Well, I think with DeAndre Hunter in last night's game, 27 points, nine rebounds, had only one assist, but it was a really nice assist to end the first half. A lot of people rightfully so say oh you know March Madness performance is overrated you know we overreact to stuff like that and that's true a lot of the time but I do think it's hard to say with a straight face that what DeAndre Hunter did last night doesn't matter just because it was one game for him to do that on on a, such a big stage coming up clutch multiple times in multiple different ways he hit the three to tie the game as you mentioned he also hit a go-ahead three later in overtime as well. He had two incredibly clutch athletic rebounds over Texas Tech defenders, one of them over Jarrett Culver, where he just used his long seven-foot wingspan to stretch over him and rip down the board. In multiple ways, he came up clutch. And then through the entire game, 
he locked down Jarrett Culver, who a lot of people view as, in their eyes, as the number two or number three or fourth best prospect in this year's draft. And Hunter put the clamps on him the entire game. So overall for Hunter, look, he's still most likely a role player, like a high-end role player. That's most likely his scenario. But for me personally, watching last night's game, it showed that he has he has the ability to come out big in big moments. He's somebody that you can rely on. He's not going to fold like some players do. Um, and he did it all over the floor on the defensive end and on the offensive end as well. It was a spectacular performance and one of the best national title performances that I can remember from an individual player. Over the last couple of rounds, obviously, Culver gets a tremendous amount of attention from the opposing team. And I know he did not have his best game by a wide, wide margin. Uh, he hasn't been night. good for a while, though, too. I mean, like the past five games, he's shooting only 28 of 89 from the floor. That's 31% from the field, shooting only four of 26 from three, only 15%. So it like wasn't just last night either. He's besides the end of the final four game where he turned it on. He's really been struggling as of late in the tournament. I will make a bit of an excuse for him today because I do think that when you are a team like Texas Tech and he is the best player by a wide, wide margin that I think the other teams like, like if you are if you are thinking about Virginia, you know that they can beat you in a myriad of ways. Ty Jerome can beat you and Kyle Guy can beat you. And obviously, DeAndre Hunter can beat you. I think when you are thinking about Texas Tech, while they did have guys off the bench like Edwards and guys that came out of nowhere like Mooney in the prior round, I do think that when you are the best player by a wide margin and you command that level of attention, I do think that it's it's a little different. And I will tell you that I watch this tournament and I get the shooting numbers, but there's a lot more to the games than just whether he was making Absolutely. shots or not. And my opinion of Culver did not go down during this tournament in the least. And in fact, I mean, again, we're not talking about, I understand that we always want to think we're going to get the best player on a title team, but the truth is there's only a handful of those guys. And so do I get somebody, you know, I always put out that list of guys that won't suck. Do I get somebody that's going to be a starter for me in the NBA for a long, long time and a guy who does have still a ceiling that can be met. And I think the answer with that kid is yes. He certainly got the requisite athleticism. He plays harder than hell. And I get that like some of his shots weren't dropping, but he was the best player on a team that was a minute away from winning a national title. And I think a lot of people would have told you history would tell you talent wise, generally teams with one really good NBA player or that plays for a long time in the NBA. Those aren't the teams that win the title and they damn near did it. You know, Virginia, at least four of those guys is going to have a, you know, they're going to get an NBA contract, at least four of them. Yeah, sure. I mean, I think with Culver, some of the struggles are things that we knew about before, just like some of the, the good things Hunter did last night we knew about. It's not necessarily that we learned anything new. We just saw Hunter do it in a big time moment on the biggest stage with the most amount of pressure with, with Culver, his struggles as of late, I'm not, I'm not sure it's any different than the concerns we saw before, like all season long in both his years at Texas tech, we've seen that he's stiff as a ball handler. Like you and I talked about last week, he's probably not going to be that go-to scoring guy, 
But what he can be is somebody who is a smart overall player, somebody who can play within the flow of an offense, hopefully for him, maybe put him in a motion offense with more cutting, more off-ball movement. I think that's where he could flourish at the next level because um, that that's what could really take advantage of his his smarts as a player is very intelligent. He's an unselfish playmaker as well. I think that would maximize him as an offensive player. But what he's not, but what he had to be for Texas Tech right. was an on-ball presence. And it would have been nice to see him do more of that against college-level players. But he didn't. You know, he, That's just not his game. It's probably not going to be his game unless he makes drastic improvements well beyond what he is now. But he still can defend well. He's still a good rebounder. He's versatile. He's a smart player. He's a hard worker. And if anybody's looking at these last five games and thinking, oh, Jared Culver, going to knock him way down my board, I think that would be a mistake. He He's still a, a top prospect in this year's draft. With that said, one thing to remember, though, is that Culver would not have been a top five pick in last year's draft or the, the draft before that. He's a, he's a good prospect, not a great prospect. So when, when setting expectations for him, I think it's important to remember the quality of this class, that top five this year is not quite the same as we had talked about in the past couple of years. Yeah, I think with a couple of these guys that you're looking at them and saying these are going to be complementary players. And if you look back to last year, somebody like Mikel Bridges, by the time Mikel Bridges is taken, nobody's thinking Mikel Bridges is going to be the best player on my NBA team, but he might be the third or fourth best guy on your NBA team. And this is a particular year where inevitably some of the guys will be stars farther down the list, but you're probably getting a third or fourth best player on your team, even if it is with the top 10 pick this year. That's just what this draft is, Kev. And people have been saying that since this class of one and dones, you know, when everybody saw them in the McDonald's game and the McDonald's practices, et cetera. I mean, that's what this draft is. And so I know people roll their eyes at the idea of getting their second third, fourth best player that you want to get a guy that you think is going to be the best player on your team when you've got a high pick, but that just not, may not be the case with most of these guys. So at least you've got a sure thing that you've got these Mikel Bridges, Otto Porter kind of players, right? Your third or fourth sure, best guy. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, obviously those players are important. So like, look at Memphis, for example, right now, they're in a position where they want to convey their pick to the Celtics just to get it out of the way, to wash their hands of the Jeff Green mistake that was made a couple years back. They want to get rid of the pick, but still retain odds of getting the number one pick in Zion Williamson, because in, in this year's draft, I think the, the best value, the best range isn't that three to six or seven range, which is where Memphis would be if they if they were trying to tank, right? They would be in that slot. The best value spot is really that, I think that eight to late lottery range, eight to 15 or so, and then beyond that, I, I think that's the best spot to be in this year's draft. So for teams like the Atlanta Hawks, they'll have their own pick, and if they keep the Dallas pick, which right now has the eighth best odds, or someone like the Celtics with the Sacramento Kings pick, um, and also potentially getting the Grizzlies pick, I think those two teams stand out as teams that have ability to move around within the draft and have at least one pick in a high value area. Uh, I think that's the spot you want to be in this year's draft. But with that said, like you're not going to get DeAndre Hunter or Jarrett Culver there, 
but there are a number of other guys in this year's draft class that present uh, similar-ish value as prospects, but also will have much less significant contracts as rookies. So you're not committing as much money to those players, but you might be getting a near equal quality player uh, in terms of upside or ability to contribute now. Not Culver or Hunter, though. They, they won't fall to that point, to be clear. But there are other prospects like Jackson Hayes for an upside center or, or Brandon Clark, who we talked about before in this podcast, or want to take a home run swing, someone like Bull Bull or Nasir Little. There, there's some value to be had in that late lottery range this year. I do find it interesting that what we have seen in college basketball the last few years is we have a Carolina team that does not have a bunch of NBA guys. That is a veteran laden team, that Villanova team, which was absolutely unbelievable and stomped everybody on their way to a title last year. DiVincenzo moved up in a massive way. Uh, Mikel Bridges ended up being a top 10 pick. Obviously you've got other guys, Bronson Spellman, other guys got NBA jobs, but it wasn't loaded with the lottery talent or the best talent. And then this year's Virginia team, you will have Hunter and then who knows, you know, Ty Jerome probably has the same kind of plight as a Brunson in terms of well draft stock, et cetera. Ty Jerome um, was really, really good in the yeah. tournament. Really good. And especially last night's game. And it's been a long time since we have had, I guess it would be Anthony Davis since we've had, I know that that Duke team that had three guys go uh, in the top with Jalil Okafor, but he didn't go number one. I mean, he went a little further down because that was uh, the Wiggins draft, but Jalil Okafor, Justice Winslow, and then uh, Tyus Jones, they all went in the first round off of that team that won the title. But after Anthony Davis, we had Anthony Bennett not involved. Andrew Wiggins, an absolute disaster getting knocked out of the tournament by Stanford. Carl Anthony Towns got bounced. Ben Simmons wasn't in it. Markel Fultz wasn't in it. DeAndre Ayton got humiliated by Buffalo last year. And now this year, I guess, I mean, Zion was one point away from being there, right, in the Final Four. So I guess Zion has had uh, maybe the most success here in a little while for somebody, but I do find it interesting. Towns went to the Sweet 16, I think, if I remember correctly, or Elite Eight. Regardless, to be fair to that team, they did make a little bit of a run, and they had a historic regular season. His team did go to the Final Four. The team that lost to Wisconsin, which again, right, was the guys on that team, Frank Kaminsky, Sam Decker, these guys have NBA careers. Nigel Hayes. Yeah, but that was a veteran team. You know what I mean? It was. What I'm saying is the highest level talent. I mean, if you want to call that Duke team, uh, the number one pick the last time he's there at the very end was Davis hoisting a trophy. And even before then, I mean, Rose was right there at the very end and obviously got his heart ripped out by Chalmers. But yeah, I think what we're seeing in college basketball, we're seeing a lot of these veteran teams, these three and four year guys with a great player kind of sprinkled in somebody that ends up being a top 10 pick on that team, but not necessarily the ones that are loaded with the uh, one and done talent. Hard to do. It's hard to do. Very difficult to win a championship, Chris. Very difficult. That's why you get a tank and get top players. (laughs) Oh, for goodness sakes. All right, let's get to the, (laughs) let's get to the standings and let's get to the standings. Um, Oh, you know what? This is crazy, Kev. I'm looking at the standings. I don't see a lot of the uh, tanking teams doing all that well in the standings. 
Um, in uh, fact, oh, the Bucks, the Raptors, the Nuggets, the Rockets, the Trailblazers, the Jazz. Wow. Oh, not exactly loaded with a bunch of the teams in the tank. <laughs> but anyways. Uh, I threw you a softball, Chris, and you hit it out of the go. park. Thank you. This has been a bad year for the tanking crowd, for, to say the least. <laughs> I'm glad that Philadelphia lost for seven years to get the three seed. Um, anyways, uh, we have... When we are looking uh, at these standings, we're not going to be able to figure out necessarily who all are going to be maneuvering and who are going to be playing each other these last couple of games. Obviously, Detroit is the one that is hanging up for dear life. They actually host the Grizzlies tonight with Blake Griffin questionable. They've been in this free fall. Seven of nine, they've lost. They've lost four straight, whereas you have the Hornets, who have won three straight games. I mean, that that is the one spot, that eighth spot, that looks to be decided still, whereas everything everything in the Western Conference is merely a matter of seed at this point. The eight teams, we know who the eight teams are going to be, but those last three spots, six, seven, and eight, you have the Thunder, the Spurs, and the Clippers all within a half a game of each other. So, there's maneuvering to be decided. And then obviously in the Eastern conference, it's either going to be Detroit, Charlotte or Miami, right? Oh boy. And you have one of those teams. Charlotte has made this push and has gone seven and three down the stretch. As I mentioned, you have seven of nine losses for Detroit and four in a row and the heat have lost four in a row. So now I really don't know Detroit. They have, Their last game, uh, they played the Grizzlies tonight and then at the Knicks. So they should be able to win that. They should be able to win that. Should be able to. Should be able to. I mean, God, man, when we were talking about them a couple weeks ago, they looked like a sure thing. Like they were just locked Mm -hmm. in and we were worried about Brooklyn making it. And now Detroit's hanging on for dear life. Who would you rather see in the playoffs, Charlotte or uh, Detroit? I think, honestly, like I'd love to see either of those guys rewarded Blake Griffin, especially the, the progress he's made this season, man. I mean, he's, he's arguably that sixth all NBA forward this year. I'm probably going to have him sixth on my ballot. Once I submit that this week, uh, I think Blake's progress would be great if that were to be rewarded. But at the same time, it's like, I'm, I'm worried about this guy's durability. He is not at all healthy right now. He is lumbering out there on the floor. The season has worn him down as much as it can. I'm not sure how much he has left in the tank for the postseason Um, with Kemba Walker. Obviously, the start he had was terrific. He looked like an all NBA guy. I'm not so sure he will be at this point. I guess like we talked about last week or the week before, I'm intrigued what's going to happen with Walker's all NBA votes if they make the postseason. But Mm -hmm. I guess to make a choice, I'd rather see Detroit just because of the progress Blake has made as a player um, and Drummond as well midseason making a big leap. I I would like to see that rewarded. Yeah, and we were just talking. It was just a week ago, Kev, and we were talking about at least we would get to see Embiid versus Drummond and him posting all the Instagram <laughs> Instagram and Twitter stuff and like yeah. that ain't happening. That is for certain. Not even close to happening. And Detroit's just gonna hang on for dear life. Regarding the last few games of the season and what is going to take place between these teams all jockeying for position, we do have an NBA watch of the night tonight. The Houston Rockets at the Oklahoma City Thunder. On TNT, 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time. This does have implications, Kev. 
Sure does, Chris. If Houston wins tonight, they're absolutely going to be the two or three seed, depending on what happens with Denver. Uh, If Denver were to win their final two games, Houston would be the three seed. But if Denver loses just one of those last two games, then Houston would be the two seed. But if Houston loses tonight, and obviously OKC right now, their seed hasn't been determined either on their end. They could be a wide range right now. But if Houston loses to OKC, and then if Denver loses their two remaining games, Houston would be the two seed. If Denver won one of those two remaining games and Portland won, this this is confusing. <laughs> this is the most confusing thing this I've ever confusing. heard in my life. All I'll say is this. If Houston loses tonight, there's a chance they'll be the four seed, depending on a number of factors that happen over the final two nights of the regular season. <laughs> oh, for goodness sakes. Well, here's what oh, we know. Oh, man. Chris, how, how are we only two days left in the regular season? And it's still this confusing I to don't figure know, out but the that playoff was the- spots. That was the most complicated thing I've ever heard in my life. Anybody just watch tonight. Set the audio of that to like that Zach Galifianakis uh, meme of him with like the math problems. <laughs> uh, the Rockets at the Oklahoma City Thunder on TNT, 9.30 p.m. Eastern. And remember, if you want to watch every NBA game, subscribe to NBA League Pass on NBA.com or from your preferred video provider. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we are going to go through 10 questions leading into the NBA playoffs. Today's episode of The Mismatch is brought to you by SHIP. Men, if you're ready for a new way to date online, listen up. SHIP, S-H-I-P, is awesome. It's 75% women right now, so your odds are great. And in addition to searching for someone special on your own, you can recruit your inner relationship or married friends to join your crew and help you date. That's right. SHIP is the new dating app that lets your friends set you up. Here's how it works. If you're single, you sign up and you invite your friends to join your crew. If you're not single, you just sign up and invite a single friend that you want to find matches for. Then you start looking for matches, either for yourself or for your friend. The best part, there's a group chat so you and your friends can look at people's profiles together, strategize on your opening line, etc. Dating is more fun when you do it with friends. Download SHIP for free at GetShipped.com slash NBA and start today. That's GetShipped.com slash NBA. All right, Kevin, I got 10 questions leading into the NBA playoffs. Are you ready? I'm ready, Chris. Let's do it. All right. Number one, the most vulnerable top four seed in the East, the most vulnerable top four seed in the West. And I will give you Bucks, Raptors, Sixers, Celtics, Warriors, Nuggets, Rockets, Blazers. Blazers is the easy choice um, in the Western Conference, considering the, the Yusuf Nurkic injury. There's not a lone argument on planet Earth for the Warriors, um, and I just wouldn't. I, I wouldn't. I definitely wouldn't pick Denver or Houston over Portland. Um, it's not close, really, in the West. All right, I will give you. Uh, I, I will give Portland an immense amount of credit, especially in the ten games without McCollum going eight and two and being able to hold on tight to this home court advantage is mega impressive. But sure. I was reading this morning, uh, though they do have some injuries, some nagging injuries. Utah's record post-All-Star break is the second best in the entire NBA. Being that that would be their first-round matchup, I actually think the Jazz might be favored in that matchup. So I'm with you on Portland. What about in the East, Bucks, Raptors, 
Sixers Celtics. Are you going to say the Celtics because of the uh, injuries as of late? For what it's worth, in the Western Conference, that most vulnerable could be dependent on the playoff seeds, which can still change. Right. But like it's it's highly unlikely that Utah would move off that five seed, but that would change the most vulnerable. But yeah, in terms of the East, it's certainly between Philly and Boston. I think I would still choose Boston. Gordon Hayward's been a lot better as of late, the past month or so. He's improved, but there's still something missing from the Celtics team, the qualities they've had in the past, chasing down loose balls, playing with consistent effort on defense, that's still missing. And that's a little bit concerning for them heading into the postseason. Maybe in the first round, that gets activated against the Indiana Pacers, a, a hardworking team. Maybe Boston finally clicks in the first round. But I would pick Boston as the most vulnerable overall in the postseason looking ahead. Yeah, you know, Indiana really gacked it here at the end of the season. Three and seven down the stretch. Also, you know, giving away that home court advantage, which they really needed. They uh, recently have lost 10 of 11 games on the road. So it does matter greatly whether or not they were to have home court advantage or not. It would give them a much better chance, at least if it played out like it did during the season if they were getting to play in banker's life instead of playing on the road. Rough stuff, to say the least. Is there any argument for Philadelphia as that most vulnerable team um, in the East right now? Like, what is it? Uh, No. Well, I guess if they maybe dependent upon the danger of their opponent, you know, which would be Brooklyn. Here's what we know. The sample size is not huge, but... Because they've struggled as of late. Well, the sample size isn't huge, but their lineup of Simmons, Reddick, Butler, Harris, Embiid, again, not a huge sample size, but per 100 possessions, that's been almost a plus 18 in a little over 160 minutes. That lineup and then the Raptors lineup of Lowry, Green, Kawhi, Siakam, and Gasol, which has been like a plus 12.2 per 100 possessions. Again, we're still talking less than 200 minutes, but the immediate level of success that those two teams have found, and you know things tighten up in the playoffs in terms of roster management and who's on the court at the same time with each other. I just think that it's pretty clear that their apex, you know, when they've got their best five guys out there on the court, at least what we have seen so far uh, has been outstanding. The Sixers, it's been outstanding. Seriously. And so now, in fact, that will lead me to question number two. This is a good one. The most dangerous of bottom four seeds in either of the conferences. So in the East, uh, we'll just go with Detroit since they're in the slot today. Indiana, Brooklyn, Orlando, Detroit. In the West, Oak City, the Spurs, the Clippers, and the Jazz. In the West, it's Utah for the the reasons you mentioned earlier. Uh, they have arguably the defensive player of the year in Rudy Gobert, and and if he's not the defensive player of the year behind Giannis, he's a he's a damn close second with the year he's had. A Mitchell over the second half has just been ferocious after a very very inefficient, scarily inefficient first half for him in the season. He's been really tremendous um, in the second half. I think Utah, their production on both ends of the floor, their depth, their options, their versatility, um, their ability to attack with different players, Rubio and Ingles, their versatility with O'Neal coming off the bench. 
they, they have a, the ability to play different styles um, and take on different shapes depending on the opponent, depending on what the game calls for. And they have two really great players in Gobert and Mitchell. So th- they're the pick for me in the West. Are you in agreement there? Yes, and especially given what I, I mentioned earlier, which is their record after the All-Star break. The thing that I do worry about is the level of injuries that they have sustained. You got a bunch of guys with nagging stuff, Rubio, Favors. We know that injury killed them last year when it got to this time of year. Now, you have had guys like Ingles, like Gobert, that have been able to play all the games, but they've got a group of guys that have been banged up. Corver's been banged up a little bit, so that's the one thing I do worry about, but obviously, given their record and how we have seen them play, um, the one I would have taken would have been Oklahoma City, who I do think at their best is still great. It's too few and far between, and they have been not good these last 20 games of the season. So it's tough. This is a, a side question, but I, I'm curious. Do you think Russell Westbrook should be an all-NBA guard. I mean, this year, the four locks are definitely Curry and Harden for first team and then Lillard and Irving for second team. That that third team, I'm going to have Westbrook on my ballot in all likelihood. So I'm going to do a little bit more deeper research just to confirm that. But there's been, you know, arguments against Westbrook for his lackadaisical defense at times, for his inefficiencies as a scorer. I guess I'm curious, would you put him on a ballot ahead of the many other guards that would be in consideration for those last spots, Bradley Beal, Clay Thompson, Kemba Walker, and so on and so on. Ben Simmons, for that matter, should be in that conversations too. Would you have Westbrook on there? A hundred percent. I, you know, I've spoken on this before, but I believe that Russell Westbrook's, I believe that his accomplishments become discredited because of the way he acts. I do. I know he has not shot the ball well this year, but he affects the game in so many ways. And for some reason, everybody, it became cool to roll your eyes at triple doubles, but his triple doubles impact the game in a massive way. And he is a real force of nature in every game that he plays in. I wish that he did not act the way that he did, but I will tell you, and this is from being at the all-star game and summer league. And you know, I am friends with a a large majority of the NBA media privately. People don't like him because he treats people like crap. He does. You mean like with media, like the way he acts like with media post game. Okay. Yes. It is hard for people to separate that. He treats people poorly. He just does. And people, and I get it. Fans never want to hear about this and they just roll their eyes. And I'm telling you, I don't particularly care. I see him in other settings. I have friends that are friends with him that tell me he's truly a great guy. I don't know why he acts the he way is he does. He's a great guy. And so I don't know. I know the way he acts in public. You know what I mean? And I do think it affects people's opinions of him. I don't think there's any doubt about it. That if Russell Westbrook was a charming, cool, cooperative guy, that we would look at him a lot differently. Now, I am a fan of his. And I do think that somehow, some way, over the course of the last couple of years, people started rolling their eyes at triple doubles. And (laughs) I don't believe that that should be so. I think that if someone else was doing it, that it would be viewed differently. And instead, it's like stat hunting and, you know, he's just hunting for (laughs) rebounds or whatever. Like, bro, like all these guys would love to get these guys. To average that is just insane. It really is. It's insane to average (laughs) that. 
every single night you're getting me over 10 assists and you're getting me over 10 rebounds every game. I mean, that's just crazy to me. So I think it's, of course, I think he should be all NBA. Well, I think with Russell Westbrook, the post-game locker room stuff, that definitely does affect people's opinion. Um, it, it's sort of like this in baseball. For years, Jim Rice wasn't voted into the, the Baseball right. Hall of Fame because of sort of how he treated media members. And that was yes. a, a grudge people held against him until he was finally inducted um, into 2009, 10 years ago at this point, after his career ended, I, I believe, in 88, 89, uh, 1989 is career ended. So 20 years after his career ended, finally got voted into the Hall of Fame. It's sort of that type of thing with Westbrook and the relationship with the media. Personally, I don't care. I mean, if a, I think he makes it hard on himself sometimes when he's like, next question, next question, instead of um, just putting on a, a happy face. But you know what? Whatever, man. Like, media is invading your locker room space after a game. You know, it's, I understand if you're agitated by that. I wouldn't want to have microphones in my face right after recording this yeah, podcast. You I know, know what I mean? But it's part of, the, but it's part of the job, but it's not part of your job. I it know. is. And also, media matters too. Like, media, media still is delivering a story to fans in that sense. Like, media well, this does isn't matter. about, to me, this isn't yeah. about being nice to the media. This is just about being nice. <laughs> this is about being nice. Period. Yeah, yeah, I agree. You know what I'm saying? I agree. Like you should just, you just should be just, nice to another you, human being. Yeah, why can't you just be cool, man? Like, why? Like, I, I don't you know. know. Why can't you just be cool? I don't know. Different strokes by different folks, man. Um, I mean, I think he's making it hard on himself sometimes, too, but it doesn't That's, matter. Ultimately, with Russell Westbrook, it's about Russell Westbrook, the basketball player. And this right. year, like you said, he's an inefficient scorer. He just jacks up some really cringeworthy shots, but he's still overall had a spectacular playmaking season, averaging 20.6 potential assists. The next closest player was LeBron at 16. Uh, then John Wall and Chris Paul at 15.7. So he was an outlier in terms of generating potential baskets for his teammates. He led the league in a points created via assists. He was solid early in the year defensively. Uh, he's fallen off in the second half, but that's okay. I think overall, he's still one of the six best guards and should be an all-NBA player. I'm a little bit surprised by some of the arguments against him for his overall sheer impact um, with so much focus on his inefficiencies. That, to me, is an argument for two years ago when it came to James Harden or Westbrook for MVP after the 16-17 season, but it does not, it's not quite as important now. I'm, I'm going to have Westbrook in all likelihood as like the, the fifth guy on my guard all-NBA ballot. I think I'm, he's very, very deserving. Let's run through the rest of these. Uh, all right, Kev, uh, some of these are quick ones. The player that will be third in MVP voting. So this is a prediction. This is not my choice. Yes. Um, I, I would predict Stephen Curry will be third. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Kawhi's missed too many games. Because uh, if you're going by, it's usually teams that win a lot, right? Obviously, this was going to be Paul George if we did this a month ago, but that's not the case anymore. Embiid, you think he gets some votes? Jokic yeah, get some votes. Uh, yeah, Jokic, Paul George. Uh, I mean, I think you're going to have, obviously, Harden and Giannis will be in the top two. Um, yeah. Probably with Giannis winning it. But after that, it's Curry, Jokic, George, Embiid. One of those guys probably is going to get left off. But I, I think the vote will be pretty close for that those three to five spots. I think you're right. I think it'll be probably be Curry, too. Do you think it should be Curry? Would you have him third in your ballot? I think that Steph Curry... 
listen, their success has gotten old to people. But come on, man. Almost 28 points a game, five rebounds, five assists a game, all while shooting. The same thing goes with Durant for that matter. Right. I mean, this guy, but Curry's going to end up, he has shot 47% from the field, 44% from three while taking 12 a game. It's like the, the resent and it's old hat, their success. But if you're just lining up these numbers, absolutely. Curry should be right there. Special shout out to Damian Lillard as well. I think he's somebody who's also going to get some votes. Um, but yes. one other note on Curry, the fan in me, like I hope KD leaves, um, not just for parody in the league, but also I would love to see Steph in that post KD world. Cause I think he's a better player today than he was during that historic 15, 16 season. Um, so I, I would love to see him moving forward with like two or three shots, more shots per game, more opportunities with the ball in his hand, even more than he already has now. Uh, like we're talking about his numbers, the past four seasons uh, where he's averaged 28 points, six rebounds with insane efficiency. I would love to see him in a post KD world with two or three shots more per game uh, to see what type of raw numbers he would put up. It, he would be probably the MVP favorite heading into the next season. If, if KD leaves this summer. All right, that leads me right into question number four. Speaking of if he leaves, Jimmy Butler, Kawhi Leonard, Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, which of those four guys does Kevin O'Connor think is most likely to be in the same uniform they are in right now next season? Jimmy Butler, Kawhi Leonard, Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant. I would rank them Kyrie, Kawhi, Butler, KD. Wow. So Kyrie most likely. Most likely to remain in a Boston uniform. Interesting. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I think that's also because I think Boston is in a position to be the most likely team to trade for Anthony Davis. That's a factor there as well. Though, like Kyrie is going to consider other teams, I believe, but I do think ultimately he's going to go back or he's going to stay with Boston. And I would still bet on Boston trading for Anthony Davis as well. Would you give up Tatum and Brown to get him? I mean, if that's what it takes to get Anthony Davis, if there's a full commitment from him, um, I, obviously that's going to play a factor in, in there too. I, I think ultimately teams are would rightfully be nervous about trading for AD without a long term commitment, but I have a hard time rationalizing in my head reasons why AD would leave a a contending team, whether that's Boston or whether that's Toronto or somebody else. I just have a hard time figuring out why he would leave just to go to LA with an aging LeBron James. And also like the Lakers might not have cap space uh, depending on what they do this summer too. All right. Couple more off season questions. Uh, next off season question, DeMarcus cousins, Nikola Vucevic, Tobias Harris. Which one of those three guys gets the biggest contract in the offseason? I would definitely put money here on Tobias Harris getting wow, getting the most this summer. I think with Boogie, he's been a little bit better, gotten progressed over the course of the season, but he's still not at that same level he was pre-Achilles injury. And then uh, Vucevic, like we talked about, I think we talked about maybe two weeks ago, three weeks ago with him, still plays the center spot. And I think with Capella's contract last year, among other centers, the value won't be there for him as quite as much this off season with Tobias Harris versatile at the forward. Uh, I'd bet on him. Okay. Uh, and again, I want to make this very, very clear. 
Do not hold Kevin O'Connor to this forever. Do not hold him to this when it comes to the Uh June draft. When it comes to the June draft. But, Kevin, the NBA draft is tonight, and you have the fourth pick. The first three picks were Zion Williamson, John Morant, and R.J. Barrett. It is regardless of team, regardless of fit, regardless of situation, you just have the fourth pick. matters, (laughs) Chris. No, you just have the fourth pick, and you are taking who? So I have if the fourth tonight. pick in the draft. This theoretical team where fit and doesn't matter or situation does not matter at all. I'm probably having, depending on what happens in workouts and all that, I'm probably taking Jarrett Culver. Despite everything that happened the past five games in the tournament, I think his wow. overall volume of work projecting forward with him, I think he'd be the guy. There's other quality options, but I think Culver showed a lot. And I think with his work ethic, he'd be the guy at this point. Wow. I love Culver, too. I didn't think you were going to go that route. You know, I've talked to a lot of people that really love that kid from Vandy that didn't play but six games. Darius Garland. Hey, I yeah. got to watch more on him, but I, I've i gotten some very high praise for that kid. Very high He's praise good. He's kid. really yeah. good, man. I, I think Darius Garland is going to be the name right now where he's been, you know, out of sight, out of mind for, for yeah. people who are just watching college basketball for draft scouting. Um, we haven't seen him in months. So, but he's somebody who I think by the time the June draft comes, he'll be more in the conversation as a top five pick right now. He, he's not there in my mind. I do like him a quite a lot though. And I think he's deserving of being a top 10 guy. No doubt about, no doubt about that, but I need to reevaluate, uh, continue reevaluating him more and also finding out how he's recovered as well. I, I, but he's definitely going to be in that conversation for the four, five, or sixth pick in the draft. I love Culver, too, and I think he will inevitably be on my list of guys that will not suck in the <laughs> NBA. So I'm a fan. Um, Next one, uh, we'll get through a couple more of these. Kevin O'Connor, you are hired to replace Ernie Grunfeld. Whoa, uh, cool, man. Wow. The first, the first thing you want to cover, the first thing that you are thinking if you have to go into the basketball meeting as the new guy who is going to run things for the Wizards, your your first order of business outside of, quote, draft preparation. You're looking at that Wizards oh, job and that, you're saying, all right, <laughs> here's what we answer. need to do. Here's what we need to do. No, here's what we need to do. Well, I think big picture, you need to think about the Bradley Beal situation. I think with Bradley Beal, his comments recently about how money isn't going to be the motivating factor. It's going to be the direction of the Wizards. I think with him having two years left on his contract, he turns 26 this summer after a all-NBA caliber season where he showed that he can be more than the second option behind John Wall. I think you're going to have to head into the summer with the at least the open-mindedness of trading Bradley Beal if you're able to get a significant offer because... The longer you wait with him, the more leverage you're going to lose if it gets to a point where it seems like he's going to walk. Because when he does hit free agency in the summer of 2021, at that point, he'll be 28 years old, still in the prime of his career, and he's going to have a lot of suitors at that point. So I do think the Wizards entering the summer should at least have on their mind and be open to trading Bradley Beal. Otherwise, you're going to have to make some other types of moves moves to appease him moving forward because he's somebody where people are going to be lined up around the corner trying to get him because of his versatility as a scorer. Yeah, that's the thing, right? Do you walk in saying, I want to build around Beal? 
or do you walk in and say but how how do you build around him though when you have John Wall making 38 million dollars next season and then 48 million dollars in the final year of his deal it's like are you really building a can you build around Beal when you have that albatross contract on there post injury for John Wall that's mm, that's tough man well Ernie Grunfeld did get fired Kev <laughs> <laughs> that's how tough it is. Yeah, that's I mean, how like tough whoever, it is. But Grunfeld was there for a long time too, though. Oh, uh, like who, whoever is hired for that gig, whether it's Tommy Shepard, who is second in command behind Grunfeld or somebody from outside the organization, I, I would hope ownership is willing to give that front office time and patience because until that John wall deal is up, I'm not sure it's fair to expect this team to be anything more than like a fringe playoff team in the East with how the top teams okay. in the East have developed and, and continue improving. I, I think with this team long-term, I know like blow it up is hard to do. Like you can't really blow it up with John wall unless a team out there has no other options. And I'm talking about a team like the Lakers, perhaps if they strike out on all the top free agents or a team like the Phoenix suns where Robert Sarver is like, gotta win now, gotta win now. Maybe with one of those teams, then you're able to get something back of quality for John Wall. But considering the timing of the injury and the nature of the injury with a ruptured Achilles, I'm just not sure if there's going to be any value you're getting back for John Wall, who might have an albatross deal, but he's still a good player. Like, let's let's be real here. He's still a good player, despite his limitations. He, he's the worst elite point guard in the league, but he's, he's still a good player. Um, I'm just not sure where the elite. value would be for him if you want to blow it up. All right. Uh, the lottery team, you know, as we know, is the team that will not be a playoff team this year that you would bank on breaking through next year. Bright future sons. No, no. <laughs> I'm only kidding. I'm only kidding. <laughs> Should be. I'm only kidding. It, it's the team with LeBron James, Chris. It's the team with LeBron. I think I'd say Sacramento. Come on. I'm serious. What does breakout mean? Are we talking like get into the playoffs or are we talking like breakout into contention being a top team? No, I'm saying take the big leap ahead. It's the Lakers then because they oh, have I gotta, LeBron I gotta, James. On I got to know what and they, they end have up cap with. space and assets to trade for a star player. Yeah, they had cap space last year, too. Yeah, they did. Yeah. And Paul George they had assets the for Paul George, too. And they, <laughs> they said no. <laughs> I got to see what they end up with. But hey, since you said the Lakers, who actually had a worse record than the Sacramento Kings, by the way, um, <laughs> Tyron. That's hard to believe, isn't it? Ty Lue would be a blank hire for the Lakers. Fine. 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 Ty Lue uh, with the Cleveland Cavaliers, he showed that he can be a solid coach. I think with the Lakers, he getting along with LeBron James is probably the most important thing. And that's what he does, right? I, I think he's a good coach for LeBron James. Be fine. Last question, Kevin. These two teams will play in the NBA finals because we're not going to get to talk before all the uh, playoff matchups are set. So without us knowing the playoff matchups, you think these two teams will play in the finals? The two one seeds. Milwaukee Golden State. Very basic pick, but that's what I'm going with. I think I'd go with Toronto. Okay. I hate Milwaukee. And listen, I love, love, love Milwaukee. I hate them losing Brogdon 
I hate them losing Brogdon, and I hate I just, them. I just want to clip you saying the words, I hate Milwaukee. <laughs> no, don't clip that. Don't clip that. <laughs> or, or I just said it, too. Don't clip that, either. <laughs> well, I mean, listen, I, I love that team. Obviously, I'm best friends with their GM after the All-Star game. Oh, um, yeah, you guys are BFFs. Do you guys text listen, every day? It's their fourth leading scorer, Kev. Like, I do think that was a very significant loss for them. And you're going to have to have Giannis just go absolute bananas. I just think the you've got a lot of guys that can beat you on Toronto. That Siakam has become a star. You've got Kawhi. You've got Marcus Hall. You've got Lowry. You've got Van Vliet. You've got, I mean, there's so many guys that you could foresee leading them in scoring on a given night. Whereas there's really just one on, <laughs> you know what I mean? For Milwaukee. There's really, I mean, I get it that, Middleton could have a big game. You know, there are other guys that could have big games, but generally you're putting a lot on him to do it for 16 wins or 12 wins rather to get there. But I think I'd probably lean Toronto right now. It would be fascinating if those two teams meet Toronto and Milwaukee with, with the number of different guys that Toronto can throw at Giannis, the different Mm -hmm. types of defenders they can use against him Um, with Pascal Siakam, his development this year, man, like, Obviously, on the offensive end of the floor, it goes without saying with him as his improvement as a shooter, as a ball handler, all of the above. But his defense this year as a guy who in in college at New Mexico State was a high effort guy, but didn't really have the fundamentals to, to maximize on his effort. He has just become such a reliable high end defender that has gone a little bit overlooked because of his immense progress on offense but that guy to me is the clear most improved player of the year and and I don't think I'll have him on my all NBA ballot but he should at least warrant some consideration for that third team I mean what a story uh, what a journey for him to get to this point after being the 27th pick uh, just three years ago in 2016 remarkable he really has become just totally awesome he has become totally awesome so fast so fast. This is why when it comes to like talking about the future of players and, and their own development, it's so hard to predict, man. Like like with right. Siakam, he was somebody who, like I said, he busted his ass at New Mexico State. There's no doubt that he played hard and that he loved the game and all that. But there's plenty of guys who enter the league who play hard and love the game and they don't make this type of leap like Siakam did. Uh, there's so many converging factors that that play into it. Like with him, it's opportunity. Nick Nurse enabling him and empowering him to handle the ball and go coast to coast. It's his player development, whether it's his personal trainer or the team trainers helping him along. And it's simply just also circumstances and situation. Um, OG in and Obi early in the year, you know, I mean, taking a step back, it's so many factors that go into it. Well, and here's another thing to think about, Kev, because I always talk about the ageism that goes on when we get to the NBA draft. Siakam was 22. You know what I mean? He's 25 mm-hmm. now. You know, I mean, so he's 21, 22 going into the league. And it's like, well, I mean, he's 22 right now. And look at where he is within yeah. his development. And what if we just took this 18, 19 year old? You know, what's he going to look like in three more years when he's 22? I mean, listen, the kid broke out when he's 25 years old, <laughs> right? Like, I mean, that for some of these guys, if you draft him at 19, that's six years into their NBA career. Now, in his case, he's 22 when he comes in the league, so he's 25 now, but it happens for different guys at different times, and 
he gets drafted at 27th. And I, I guarantee you if Pascal Siakam was the same level that he was when he was 19, I mean, he goes way higher in that draft, but the fact that he's 21, 22 gets held against him at that time. And maybe it shouldn't, right? We decide what a guy's ceiling is because he's already 21 or 22. And he's just not going to get that much better. And look at this kid. He's freaking 20. You know what I mean? Like he becomes a different guy at 25. That's true. It's like weird with age because that's true with everything in life. It's like when like your favorite band is going to release a new song, you are just fascinated by the potential of how great that song is going to be. Tame Impala released Patience, and I was so stoked to hear the song. And it's it's fine. It's a good song, but it didn't blow my mind because I was obsessed with the potential of it. It's like that in relationships. The guy or the girl you're dating, if there's one flaw that they have, you're obsessed with the potential of that changes Oftentimes, like it does, other times it doesn't. But with young players in the league, it's weird because 21 is still young when you're entering the league. And we've seen so many guys over the years come into the league at that age and make immense progress. Jimmy Butler and Draymond Green being the two biggest examples. Um, But if Pascal Siakam never gets better from where he is today, he is another guy who's in that conversation as somebody who made immense progress. And like, those are just the big names that first come to mind. But that's why, like, in this year's draft, it, it's interesting because, like, teams are going to, teams might be obsessed or fans might be obsessed and the younger guy. But if you're drafting a center like Jackson Hayes at 19 years old, who is not at all ready to contribute at the NBA level, you might be spending a lot of money, investing a lot of resources in a guy who might not be good or competitive until he's 22, 23 years old towards his second contract. Whereas you, there's older options like Brandon Clark, somebody who might be 22, but can come in and contribute right away. Someone like DeAndre Hunter, who we opened the show with, or or even like in the back end of the first round, there's every year it's like this and young, older guys can get better just like younger guys can. It's just the higher upside players are just usually the ones who come out when they're younger. The best players usually come when they're younger because they're better, but age generally can be a little bit deceiving. I think. Very deceiving, because even if I talk about a guy that I just uh, mentioned a minute ago that I hated the Bucks losing Malcolm Brogdon, you know, we decide what Malcolm Brogdon's ceiling is. We decide what Pascal Siakam's ceiling is because they're 21 or 22 when they're coming into the league. When the truth is you look up and they're both averaging 17 points a game and are in the top four scorers on great teams when they're 25. And... I just think that's something to think about when we we look at these guys and we say, oh, well, we already know what he's going to be. Like, I think Siakam and, and, and Brogdon and guys like that, like you're saying, these guys are great case studies in the fact that just because you're older does not mean that your ceiling is that we can already decide it. Because a lot of these guys just get so no much doubt. better and you just never know. I mean, this guy... 25 years old and look at him. He's just broken the hell out and is great, great player. And that team is loaded. That team, that Toronto team. <laughs> I mean, those two teams are the two teams that I was most impressed with seeing in person this year, honestly, Toronto and the bucks. And I think because of the Brogdon loss, I think that I would put them down a little bit of a peg 
and I would probably say then I would have to rock with Toronto because I think I think they're awesome. And I haven't seen them with Gasol, but obviously the numbers with Gasol in the lineup have been tremendous. And I know Mark and what he brings to the table. And I can imagine that it's perfect for him. He doesn't have to be the man. If he takes five shots, it doesn't matter. And he can play the right way and keep the ball moving and all the way he loves to play basketball. And so I'd imagine that that's part of the reason a happy Mark Gasol is a great player to have. That's for sure. No doubt. I mean, with Brogdon, they're losing a guy who's having a a 50-40-90 season. Yeah. That's the player that they're losing. Um, But with these injuries, even more so than before, Chris, I I think with Giannis Antetokounmpo, this is an MVP season for him. He's going to get my vote uh, for MVP. Um, And I think he'll end up winning the award as well. But for him, it's from a big narrative perspective – it's not only a chance for the Bucks to make some noise in the playoffs, but it's a chance for Giannis to to take hold of that face of the NBA title. Um, with LeBron James out of the playoffs, with the Lakers having a shaky future, depending on what they can do this summer, um, and LeBron just simply aging, and Giannis emerging into just a two-way monster who should argue, arguably be the defensive player of the year and the MVP, the first guy since Hakeem Olajuwon, who would have been able to do both those things. Giannis has a chance to do that in the postseason and prove himself as the best player in the league to become the next face of the league. That's what's at stake for him beyond just the Milwaukee Bucks making noise as a 60-win team in the postseason. Giannis has a chance to become the face of the NBA um, in the playoffs if they have the success that they can I'm with you. Kevin, it is always a pleasure. By the next time we speak, we will have the NBA playoffs going on. I can't wait. And uh, I'll talk to you next week. Hey, man, this has been a really fun season, Chris. And I, I also just want to say like, thanks to the listeners. It's uh, been a great, great regular season. And I'm, I'm stoked for the playoffs. We will have shows as the playoffs. Uh, in fact, by the next time we will speak, we'll be talking about playoff basketball. Thanks, everybody, oh, yeah. for listening. As Kevin said, if you dig what you're hearing, go give us a rating interview on iTunes. Five stars, five stars. And we will talk to you next week. Hey!